Come with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 15. Matthew, the 22nd chapter and the 15th verse. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. I, um, I like to go home on Sunday afternoons and, and watch the Believer's Voice of Victory Network. And um, there's uh, different folks on there. Brother Copeland's usually on there by the time I get home. And then uh, after him, it's uh, Mark uh, Barclay, Dr. Mark Barclay. And he uh, reminds me a lot of my dad. He, he's a Marine. Uh, of course, Brother Ronnie's a Marine. And um, so he just has a real direct approach. Uh, to share in the word, and then Brother Jerry Savelle, and then after Brother Jerry, usually we have to head on this way by the time Brother Jerry's daughter comes on, but she had a quote at the bottom of the screen, and um, I, I put it in my notes, uh, not my sermon notes, but I, it's a long story, but I just keep a note log, almost like a journal, I guess. And I took the time to write it down, but this was the quote. It said, Comfort and convenience rule the lives of unsuccessful people. Comfort and convenience rules the lives of unsuccessful people. And if you think about what that quote is saying there, you know, um, a lot of times we search out the comfort and the convenience of things, but people who are successful... Um, are willing to step out of their comfort zone and do the things that may not be convenient. Um, and so tonight, as I stand before you once again, um, just so you'll know, as much as I'm enjoying what we're talking about, this is a little bit out of my comfort zone. And that's what happens when the Lord is stretching us. Um, as long as we kind of stay in that that comfort zone, you know, of things that we've heard or things that we like or things that we at least are comfortable talking about. But the Lord is wanting to grow us. He's wanting to add to us. He's wanting to do something new in us, and we're making room for Him to do that. And His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. There's a huge gap between how He thinks and the way we think, but He's helping us by His Holy Word and by the Holy Spirit to close that gap. Now, tonight, if you will, um, I just want you to take your hands and I just want you to lay them on, on your uh, stomach, on your abdomen, and, um, and I, I want to pray for you tonight. Father, as each person has laid their hands upon their stomach, Father, we're not just praying for our belly, we're praying for our innermost being. And Father, there are some things tonight that it's absolutely critical that we grab a hold of, but Father, at the same time, we recognize that without Your Holy Spirit helping us, it's impossible for us to grab hold of these things. And so we're humbly and simply asking You for help tonight. Help us, Father, with a spirit of wisdom and revelation to, to see things that we've never seen before, to dare to think bigger than we've ever thought before, to dare to reach for realities that we've never reached for before. And help us to see them as we lean into you tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, and beginning around verse 15, we see that there were a group of people who were trying to embarrass Jesus. They were trying to trip him up with his words. They were 
trying to bait a trap for him. And they did this uh, frequently, uh, but every time they did it, it backfired on them. And rather than, than Jesus being embarrassed or humiliated, Jesus, you know, looked like the, you know, wise uh, son of God that he truly was. And they usually left with egg on their faces, so to speak. And in this particular situation, they were trying to get him to run crosswise with the Roman government. And if you understand the history of Jesus' day, the Roman Empire had basically conquered you know, so much of the world, and they had conquered um, Israel and Jerusalem. And the Romans operated by something called Pax Romana, or the Roman peace. And the idea, of course, is that when they would conquer a people they would provide uh, rulership and authority over the existing government that was there. And they had the final say, but they would, in, in many cases, leave that government in place. That's why you see, like, for instance, when they were trying to crucify Jesus, you know, they went to Herod, um, you know, who was king of the Jews, but they couldn't execute a man without... Pilate, who was the Roman governor, and answered to Caesar without Pilate's permission. And so you see these different layers of government. And so they would, remember they said, the law of Moses says this woman should be stoned. They were trying to get him to run afoul of Moses' law. And that didn't work. And so now they're trying to get him to say you shouldn't pay taxes to the Roman Empire. And when they asked Jesus this question, he asked them to bring them a coin. Verse 19, show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And verse 20, it says this, And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now, we pointed out this morning that people use the expression, render unto Caesar, all the time talking about either paying taxes or paying the dues or, you know, paying the piper, whatever. And they don't really understand when they quote that, that they're quoting something that came from the lips of Jesus. Jesus was the one who said, render unto Caesar. But he didn't just say, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. He also said in that same sentence, render unto God what belongs to are the things that are God's. Amen. So we see then that there are two categories of things. There are things that belong to uh, the world. There are things that belong to the flesh. There are things that belong to the government, if you will. But then there's a whole other category of things. These are the things that belong to God. And it's our responsibility through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God helping us, of course, to be able to recognize the difference. Jesus told Nicodemus, what's born of the flesh is flesh, but what's born of the Spirit is spirit. And it's very important for you and, you and me to be able to, to, to recognize the difference, for you and I to recognize the difference of what is of this world, what is of the flesh, and what is of the kingdom, what is of the Spirit, what is of God. Amen. And so Jesus says, there are things that should be rendered to Caesar, 
But even more so, there are things that should be rendered to God. Now, what we also see here is, I believe, a very powerful statement that we need to unpack. And that is, Jesus asked the question, whose image and inscription is this? Whose image and inscription is on this coin? He held that coin for them to see. And we see that that coin contained two key elements. It contained the image of Caesar and it contained the inscription of Caesar. It, it contained an imprint or, or the markings of um, the, the Roman government. And Jesus said based upon the inscription, based upon the image that's, that's, that's being bore upon that coin, you get a, a really good idea of what should be rendered to Caesar. But of course, I want you and me to take this, I want us to take this to a, a different place tonight. And that is, when you look in the mirror, whose image and inscription is staring back at you? Whose image is this? Whose image and inscription are you and is on you. Amen. Because it's very important that we give to God, render to God what belongs to God. Now, this word render, this word render means three specific things. When he said give to Caesar, render to Caesar, he was saying to give Caesar what Caesar desires, give Caesar what Caesar expects, and give Caesar what Caesar demands. What he desires, what he expects, and what he demands. So when he says for you and me to give to God what God expects, what God desires, and what God demands, amen, he's talking about based upon the image that you bear and the inscription that you wear, amen, that's upon you, that that image and that inscription gives you a really important clue or clues as to what you were created for. What it is that God designed you to be and to do unto Him. Amen. Now, I want to break some of this down tonight for you in the, in the time that we have left. In Genesis chapter 1, in verse number 26... It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. He goes on to say, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I want us to focus on the first part of this passage tonight. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. If you're looking at the screen or looking at a Bible in your lap, I want you to pay close attention to the plural pronouns. Jesus did not say, let me make man in my image. He said, let us make man in our image. We know that God is a three yet one being. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So God the Father, God the, Hun the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they all said, that's why God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So image and likeness. You were created 
in the image and likeness of God. You were created in the image and likeness of God. Tonight, you are a being existing on planet Earth that has been created in the image and likeness of the uncreated God, the uncreated one, the eternal God. Now, I have never seen God. I will see Him one day. But I have seen a lot of beings who were created in His image and in His likeness. I'm looking at several in the room tonight who were created in both the image and likeness of God. I'll be brief here, but you have hair on your head tonight because God has hair on His. You have two eyes, one nose, one mouth, two ears because the God who created you has two eyes, one nose, two ears, one mouth. You have a right hand and a left hand, four fingers and a thumb on each because the God who created you has a right hand and a left hand, four fingers and a thumb on each, and I won't go through the whole body. But again, you were created in both His image and His likeness. Now, I want to explain in greater detail tonight what that really means. But before I do, I just want to remind you that the meaning of this is providing clues for you and me as to exactly what our purpose for being created actually is. In other words, God had a purpose for you to fulfill, for you as an individual to fulfill, but then for mankind in general to fulfill before He ever created the first man. Let me remind you, for those of you who may be a bit confused on this, and it's okay if you are, but angels are not men and women who have died on planet earth and gone to heaven. Angels are a different kind of being. They're different from the kind of being that God is, and they're different from the kind of being that we are. God created us not in the image and likeness of angels, not in the image and likeness of any other living thing. He created us in the image and likeness of Himself. Now, God could have created us without creating us in His image and likeness. In other words, God could have created us, and if you look at the diversity of creation, if you look at all the different wonders of creation, the variety of creation, I mean... There are creatures that God created that have a hundred legs. Is that, is that not fascinating? There are, there are creatures that God created that, that, um, that, that, that are all shapes, all sizes, that serve all kinds of different purposes. But when He created you and me, He created us in His image and His likeness. He did that for a purpose. Or let me say it another way. He created you in light of the purpose he desired and expected you to fulfill as far as fellowship with Him is concerned. Amen. Now, when we talk about image, if you look this word up in the Hebrew, to be created in the image of God is talking about two distinct things. It's referring to the thing that we are, or let me say it another way, it refers to that which a thing is formed after and that 
which a thing is formed from. So to be created in the image of God means that we were created after Him as far as like Him as a model, if you will. But it also means that we were created from Him. Come on now, are you with me tonight? We were created after Him, so back to the hair, the ears, the eyes, the nose, the mouth, the hands, the fingers. Created after Him. But to be created in His image means to be created after Him, but also we were created from Him. When God created plants and animals, He spoke to the earth for it to bring forth and, and, and produce those animals. When He created the fish, He spoke to the seas, He spoke to the waters, and we see that the, the fish were created from that which He spoke to. But when He created you and me, He did not speak to the waters, He did not speak to the air, He did not speak to the earth, He spoke to Himself. He spoke to Himself because He created you and me not from what was already created, but He created you and me from Himself, the uncreated One. Now, why is this important? Well, again, what did God have in mind? Or let me say it another way. Since you were created by God in light of a purpose He expects and desires for you to fulfill, what does it tell you about the purpose that you were created for to learn that you were created from Him? Silence. Okay, amen. All right. Are you with me tonight? You seeing where we're going with this? The devil has tried your whole life to trivialize you. The devil has tried your whole life to make you think that you're not important, that you're not worthy, that you'll never measure up, that you'll never be good enough, you'll never have enough, you'll never be enough. And he is a filthy, dirty, rotten, lying dog. You were created not just after God, but you were created from God by God to be one with God. Dissimilar things can never become one. If you take dissimilar things and combine them together, they become something else. If you take an egg and sugar and flour and combine them together, they become a cake. In order for two things to be joined together as the same thing, those same things have to be cut from the same cloth. Amen. Because God created you with a desire and an expectation of you becoming one with Him, He made you after Himself and He made you from Himself because if He had made you from any other thing or made you in any other way, you would have never been able to become one with Him. Are you seeing this?
So you were cut from the same cloth as God, formed from the same substance as Him. You came forth from Him. Now, for those of you who may have read this or you have some questions about this, let me just rather quickly. You say, well, Pastor, wait a second. Didn't, didn't, doesn't it say He formed man from the dust of the earth? Yes, but the dust of the earth is simply our flesh. You've got to have a physical body to exist in a physical world. We, we exist right now in time and space. But if you've been born again tonight, this earth is not your home. But if you read the book of Genesis carefully, you'll see that when God formed man from the dust of the earth, man did not come alive until God breathed into the nostrils of Adam his breath. He breathed into him his life force. He breathed into mankind his substance of life, if you will. This was what sin separated us from, and this is what Jesus came to restore back to us. This is why He said to people who were biologically alive, I've come to give you life, and I've come to give it to you in overflowing, overwhelming abundance. The life that Jesus was talking about there in the original language was not bios or biological life. It was zoe. Again, He's talking about the life and nature of God. I've used this example over and over, but if I took this glass of water and poured what's in it into another glass of water, the same water in this glass would now be in, in the second one. So when God took the life that was in Himself and breathed it into, poured it into the shell that was Adam, that was what gave Adam life. Amen. The same life force, the same life source that was in God now was transferred into Adam. When you and I were born again, we were reconnected to the eternal life force of God and now have it in us in overflowing abundance. Oh, thank you, Jesus. But the Bible doesn't just say we were made in the image, but also according to our likeness. We spend a considerable amount of time in discipleship class on this one point, but let me just briefly, if you've never heard this, and if you have, let me briefly remind you that you also are a three-dimensional being. The Bible teaches that you are a spirit, you possess a soul, and all of that is contained within a physical body. Three yet one God created you a three yet one man. Amen. So I'm just trying to show you that this is not just general or generally speaking, but it is speaking specifically and particularly about your existence. So he didn't just say, let us make man in our image, but he also said, let us make man according to our likeness. According to our likeness. Now you've been kind of quiet on me tonight. I'm just believing in faith that you're just soaking it all in. Amen. But this word likeness here, if, if image rattled your religious cage, then likeness is, is going to thump it over. Okay? Because this word likeness, to be created according to the likeness of God, likeness means 
the state or quality of being alike. Having characteristics in common. Wow. Having characteristics in common. Strictly comparable. In other words, if two things are not alike, then those two things are not comparable. I've been telling you for weeks now that God created you to be comparable to Him and compatible with Him. This is why He created you from Him and after Himself. And this is why He created you in His likeness. This is why He created you with the state or quality of being like Him. Of having characteristics in common with Him. The whole emotional spectrum of mankind is a reflection of the emotional, aspect, the emotional spectrum that originated in God. What do I mean by that? You have the ability to get angry because God has the ability to get angry and He created you in His image and likeness. God has the ability to laugh and so you have the ability to laugh. God has the ability to cry, so you have the ability to cry. The whole range of human emotion was transferred to you from God. Why? Because He wants you to experience His joy. He wants you to experience His peace. He wants you to be passionate about the things He's passionate about, and He wants you to be angry about the things that He's angry about. Jesus said it to a group of people. He says, what, how shall I compare, or who shall I compare this generation to? He said, we played the flute for you and you wouldn't dance. And then it was a time of, of national mourning and you wouldn't weep. You just sit there expressing no emotion whatsoever. Nothing affected. Nothing. You know, what's, what's the word that, that you, you hear so many people use today? Whatever. Whatever. Such disrespect. Whatever. Satan is trying to raise a whatever generation in our world today. Where nothing matters, nothing's important, no respect for anything or anybody. Heaven help us. Heaven help us. You know, this is normally the place where a pastor would say something to the young people about the young people showing respect, about the young people. Listen, it's not just the young people. It's not just the young people. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. The entire range of emotions. Our ability to be surprised. Our ability to get excited. Our ability to dream and have visions and hope for the future. All of these things are things that originated in, in God, and God enjoys hope. God enjoys dreams. God enjoys uh, the emotions that, 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 that are a part of Him. And because He created you to be one with Him, He created you to experience those emotions created in His image and in His likeness. Having characteristics in common. 
Do you know there's tremendous power in the words that come out of your mouth? We touched on this this morning. We'll touch on it again tonight. There's tremendous power in the words that come out of your mouth. Why? Because that's how God created the universe, by speaking, and He created you with common characteristics. And you listen to me, and you listen to me very well, okay? It's the emotions, it's these, common, it's these characteristics that you have in common with God that the enemy is trying to use to destroy you. He's trying to wreck and ruin your life with dominant negative emotions. He's trying to wreck and ruin your life through ignorant words and, and crazy uh, loose cannon statements that come out of your mouth. Do you realize how many times... I, I, help me now. Help me. This, this is from the Holy Spirit. I gave Pam permission the other day to correct me and... And uh, she didn't correct me. She just laughed because after I gave her the permission, permission I, said this, I said these words out of my mouth. But with the Lord's help, I'm, I will never confess I forget or I forgot ever again. You, see, sweet Jesus. Can I talk to you for a minute? James tells us that the words that you speak out of your mouth are literally laying down the railroad tracks that chart the course for your life. That your tongue, the words that you speak, is like the rudder of a ship, it's like the bridle in the mouth of a horse. What you say determines the course of your life. Death and life is in the power of your tongue, and whatever you're saying today will be on a plate for you to eat tomorrow. And we say things like, that pumpkin pie is to die for. You're killing me. Well, that's tickling me to death. Why? Why, why do we take things and put them in the context of death? And again, folks think that that's just, oh, Pastor Mark, you know what in the world? You... No, see, the devil never wants you to understand how powerful the words are that come out of your mouth. Now, with all of that said, how many times a day do we say, I forget, I forgot, I, for... I didn't remember? Blah. See, again, and then, then we wonder why we have a hard time remembering things when we get in our 40s and 50s. Memory of the righteous is blessed. I have the mind of Christ, and God didn't give me a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and a sound mind. And the Holy Spirit helps me remember. Jesus said He was the memory helper, right? That He would bring to our remembrance. Next time you forget where you put something instead of saying, I forget everything, I can't believe, I forget, I forget my head for it and screwed on. <laughs> How about if you just kind of pause for a minute and say, Holy Spirit, you know where those keys are. Would you please take me to them? Would you help me remember where I put them? I'm, Pam will tell you, I'm, I'm, I was at 100%. I'm at 99.9%. And I, I'm still praying, so it may be two years from now. Myself and John, Mark, and Jake, we were throwing the Frisbee in the surf, and the you know, whole family's lost weight. I'm so blessed by them and honored that, you know, amen. Well, that Frisbee hit Jake's wedding band, 
and because he's lost weight, that band flew off his fingers. The only thing I haven't found by praying in the Holy Ghost while I look for it. Amen. I, I, I hadn't found it yet, but I'll, still, I'll find it. Praise God. Amen. I found a classmate's contact on a football field by praying in the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit knows. The Holy Spirit knows. We say, oh, I forgot, I forget, I forget, I forget everything. I can't remember nothing. I don't know why, what's happening to me. No, no, see, quit saying that. Quit saying that. Because you were created in the, in the image and likeness of God. You have a common characteristic. You have something in common with God. His words are powerful. And He created you for your words to have impact and to be powerful as well. Amen? Let me get to the rest of this definition and we'll try to land this plane. The state or quality of being alike, having characteristics in common, strictly comparable, alike in substance or essentials, corresponding, corresponding. You were created to correspond, to respond, to be in response to, to correspond, to run alongside with God Himself. This word corresponding, equivalent, analogous, in character, form, or function, comparable, having or participating in the same relationship, such as kind, degree, position, or function. You were created in His image and His likeness. To what end? For what cause? If you think about manufacturing, if you think like, for instance, an automobile, every feature, every detail, every aspect of that automobile was included in the design, creation, fabrication, manufacturing of that automobile for a purpose. You don't, ha you don't have to Bluetooth connect your cell phone to the sound system of the car to drive the car, but the manufacturer put that feature and is putting that feature now in more and more new, newer cars for convenience. For, you know, you get into the luxury cars, there's a lot of things. I mean, you know, I, I remember cars with no air conditioning. Do they still make those, Don? Do they, do they, can you even buy a car with air conditioning today? I don't think so. Maybe you can. Jeep, I guess. I don't know. But the point I'm trying to make is you don't have to have that, but it was put there to serve a purpose. Are, are you understand what I'm saying? So, when you look at the way a thing was designed and the features, the characteristics that were built in, that were included in the package, you get an idea of the purpose. You get an idea 
of, of what it was meant to do, what purpose it was meant to serve, what level of comfort or luxury it was meant to achieve based upon how it was designed and fabricated or created. Are you following me? So again, I, I know that I've said this already a couple of different ways. I did not tell God, you either create me in your image and likeness or just leave me uncreated. I didn't tell Him, you make me in such a way as to have a choice to be one with you or don't create me at all. I had no say-so in that whatsoever. I, I, did, I did not negotiate this. I, I, I didn't lobby for this. And, and, and again, I know that these are uh, things that are considered to be on the extreme end of the spectrum by a lot of people in the body of Christ today. And I, I didn't make this up. I did not make this up. This, this, is, this is our Creator Father revealing to us the manner in which He created us. Which to me is the foundation for our understanding the oneness that He expects and desires. Now, I'm going to comment. I'll close it up. But I'm going to comment on that word demands. God is not demanding anything from you. He created you with the ability to choose Him or turn your back on Him. He created you with the capacity and then recreated you in Christ or gave you the opportunity to be recreated in Christ Jesus to not just be like this with God, but to be like this with Him, to be one with Him. But again, He's not making you and will not make you do anything. So when we say what God expects, render to God what God expects, render to God what God desires, render to God what God demands, I'm talking about what your creation, what, what your uh, image and likeness, created in the image and likeness of God, demands of you. A Corvette demands to be driven differently from a four-wheel drive. The wings on a bird demand that that bird flies. A bird doesn't have to fly. But the fact that it's got wings, it was created to do that. So, the, so it demands... Now, a fish is a little different. The gills on a fish, the way that fish was created, it demands of that fish that it breathe oxygen through water. Are you seeing what I'm saying here? So when we say render to God what God desires, what God expects, we, we could say it this way, and what your creation in His image and likeness demands. What it calls for. Cut from the same cloth. So that you could be grafted in and become one and have the same fellowship with God that Jesus enjoys right here right now on planet earth amen amen stand with me tonight praise God praise God yes sister amen go right ahead 
Amen. Amen. We're going to stay the course. Amen. All right, I want you to bow your heads with me tonight. Praise God. Amen. On a Sunday evening, I was born again on a Sunday evening, and I see a lot of new faces tonight, so I never want to take it for granted that every person in the room has been born again. So tonight, let me just very quickly tell you the story of Jesus. The Bible says of Jesus that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he was falsely accused and was whipped, beaten, nailed to a cross, and on that cross, he took your sin and my sin. He became our sin. He bore, he bore the judgment and the punishment that we deserved. They took his dead body off the cross. They put it in a, in a borrowed grave. He went to death, hell, and the grave for you and for me as our substitute. He was raised again by God the Father on the third day so that you and I could be set free from not just the sin that killed us, but from the consequences of that sin. And he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. Everything that Jesus did on this earth, he did for you as you, as a substitute on your behalf. And to receive salvation tonight is very simple. It's to receive for yourself what Jesus has already accomplished, what Jesus has already done for you. So again, with, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here tonight, you say, Pastor Mark, I've never accepted Jesus as my Savior, but tonight I would like to receive that free gift. If you just lift your hand, please. Anybody in the room, I'd like to receive that free gift if there's anybody. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Come on, brother. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Come on, brother. Amen. It's you. Come on. Anybody else? You say, I've never been born again tonight. Praise God. Amen. Amen. We're going to all pray together. I'm going to turn this microphone off and give you a... I feel, like there's, I feel like there's a couple more, but that's okay. You, you can pray right now and tell somebody later. But I, I, want every, I want everybody to pray along with our brother tonight. Amen. And, and say after me, Father God, I come to you now in the name of Jesus. And I confess before your throne that I need a Savior. And that Jesus is my Savior. And I accept Him now. I confess with my mouth that I believe in my heart that you, Father, raised Jesus from the dead and that because of his sacrifice, I am free now from sin and from sin's consequences. I thank you, Father, for making me right before you and for giving to me this gift of salvation. I receive it now and I ask you by the Holy Spirit to teach me, to lead me, and to help me grow up into Jesus and the life you created me to live. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. We love you, brother. Praise God. Good things. Good things, good things. If you prayed that prayer tonight and maybe you didn't step forward, the Bible says you need to let somebody know it, amen? So maybe you prayed that prayer and just gave your heart to Jesus and, and were a little intimidated by coming forward. Let somebody know, amen. Tell somebody before you leave here, 
And uh, if you want to come and, and be prayed for or me to pray with you, be happy to do that as well. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. Got a full week of activities uh, this week at Heritage. Um, when you get home or, you know, your cell phone or your computer, laptop, iPad, whatever, uh, pull up the new website, check it out, give it a tour. Um, if you find any typos or anything like that, you're not criticizing, just shoot us an email. Um, let us know. We'll get those uh, corrected. We went through it with a fine-tooth comb, but you know how it's easy to, to miss things. We love you. Thank you for being here on a Sunday evening. Good things coming.